What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome back to The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us for this latest live edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Today is April 8, 2014, and I'm coming to you live from the global headquarters of CAF America, that's C-A-F as in Frank, America.org, an international intermediary helping high net worth individuals, foundations, and corporations with their international grant making. Today on the show, we've got our page one news for you, and then followed by our page two expert. Today, I'm going to be welcoming Simone Joyeau, uh, who is an expert who's been here on the Nonprofit Coach several times and has a new book, Firing Lousy Board Members, which is going to help us be successful with our boards of directors. As the announcer mentioned, you can call in and ask questions of our page two expert by dialing 347-324-3080. If you would prefer, you can join us in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room now. You can ask questions there. Or if you prefer, you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. First up here on page one news, and as always, you can join us over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, so you'll not only find the radio links from today's show, but all the archives of our prior shows here on the Nonprofit Coach. You'll also find all the archives of our hundreds of prior podcasts of the Nonprofit Coach. First up here in the news, uh, today is the day. Uh, Microsoft has been warning us for quite some time. Uh, today is the day that Windows XP dies. Uh, and that is that they will no longer be providing support uh, to Windows XP. So you are, uh, as a user of XP, which there are still millions of computers out there still using uh, the uh, stable version of Windows XP, uh, they will no longer be providing patches or security updates for Windows XP. So it is wise of you uh, to be looking into, if you've not already done this, uh, to upgrading uh, beyond Windows XP. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we recommend if you are confused by any of this, that you check out TechSoup.org, a wonderful organization that can not only help you uh, with making decisions about where you should go after Windows XP, but can also help you with the software and hardware that you may need for that upgrade. Check it out over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Next up, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm going to share with you uh, a, uh, a posting in the radio links today. Uh, and we often have really, really smart content 
from HubSpot, and that is because here on the Nonprofit Coach, we are huge fans and have been of HubSpot for quite some time. So in the radio links today, uh, we are sharing with you 53 examples of brilliant homepage design. This does come to us from the fine folks at HubSpot. Uh, you can go and sign up and download that and learn more about uh, through the free flipbook that they put together how you can be inspired to do a better job with your homepage and your website. But even more importantly uh, today, uh, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome here uh, Rachel Siebel. Uh, she is here with us from uh, HubSpot. She's the manager of inbound marketing consultants at HubSpot. Uh, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Rachel Siebel. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Rachel, it, it's absolutely an honor for me to have you here, not only because you're an expert in your own right, but because I'm such a, a fan of HubSpot. We often have links uh, to your fantastic content here on the nonprofit coach. And even more importantly than that, you're going to be joining us at uh, the fifth annual Digital Leap Conference up in Toronto, and that's what I want to get a chance to chat with you about today. Great. So I've been, uh, along with Stephen Thomas, I've been the host of the, uh, the Digital Leap Conference in Toronto for the last five years. Tell us a little bit about HubSpot and what our listeners who join us in Toronto on May 1st at the Art Gallery of Ontario might be in for. Well, the um, the presentation that I'm going to be giving is on Attract, Connect, and Engage, um, Digital Strategies for Better Online Relationships. And what I like to work on with nonprofits and also EDUs, small schools, universities, is ways that they can harness the power of digital marketing for their own efforts. Uh, a lot of nonprofits aren't taking advantage of the resources that are available to them. Many are free resources, uh, listening, monitoring tools, publishing tools that could be getting their message out there and bringing in more volunteers, more donors, um, more people who can benefit from their services just by knowing how to better spread the word. And there are a lot of tools that are out there, and oftentimes this is confusing to nonprofit organizations because of the breadth and depth of, of tools and, of course, something new always coming, coming about. Are you going to be helping those who join us at Digital Leap sort some of that out? Yes. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot of um, where I start is actually with goals. What do you want to accomplish before you start getting into what tools am I going to use? Because what you want to accomplish should dictate where you set out, where you put your efforts, and that can result in different tool adoption. Um, of course, here at HubSpot, we do have a tool that can monitor lots of different channels, can help you publish, um, can help you create content, but there are all different tools out there that suit different needs and different budgets, um, small organizations, large organizations. And so it's really good to talk about that and figure out what people want to accomplish and who they're trying to pull in. Again, I, I've been such a fan of HubSpot for, for quite some time. Your content is always smart, always looking at the broad picture, not just trying to sell. And, of course, and of course we all know that uh, we have to sell to stay in business. Uh, but part of it is that thought leadership and helping folks understand uh, that you really understand the broad market of what's available out there. I'm thrilled to uh, uh, welcome you uh, to Digital Leap, and I'm looking forward to meeting you personally at the Art Gallery of Ontario on May 1st. Thanks. Uh, I'm really excited to meet everyone as well. Rachel Sebel will be with us at Digital Leap. And again, thank you, Rachel, for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach as our page one guest today. You can register for the Digital Leap Conference at digitalleap.org. We also have a link for you over in the radio links at tedhart.com. You don't want to miss Rachel's uh, presentation at the fifth annual Digital Leap Conference, along with all the other terrific speakers that we have lined up for the conference in Toronto on May 1st. Plenty of time to register. Back to page one news here. Uh, next up we have over in the radio links today uh, a notice if you haven't already seen this uh, there is a new suffix for um, your uh, website addresses. You're probably very familiar with .org uh, and .org, .com, .net have been around for a long time. This has expanded. There are many, many uh, uh, different uh, high-level um, suffixes for your uh, web address. Um, however, uh, one that is now going to be monitored, and you may know and you may have noticed that there are lots of people out there using .org that are not really nonprofit organizations. 
So uh, the folks uh, um, over at the Public Interest Registry who register domain names uh, have created .ngo, and .ngo will be coming in October of 2014. Uh, over in the radio links today, you will find globalngo.org as a destination site where you can go and register your interest in a .ngo site. So you can't actually register for the domain uh, name right now, uh, but you can register your interest in a particular domain name that would then end in .ngo, uh, and you do that at Global NGO, and they will be in touch with you before October of this year um, when registration opens. So read all about it over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Uh, next up here is um, the an announcement uh, that they're uh, uh, getting closer and closer to the 2014 email marketing benchmark report uh, being released in forms. Uh, has a great deal of information uh, in this report. Uh, today we are sharing with you a little snippet of that report that once again mobile usage leads with 44.7% of email opens. Last year was the first year that we saw mobile opens surpass desktop opens as we are expecting the same this year. What was a little surprising, though, was that the gap between desktop and mobile has increased from 6% to 13%. That's huge. So again, just as we've shared with you on the Nonprofit Coach several times, what you will learn at the Digital Leap Conference, it's extremely important that your desktop website strategy for your organization includes mobile. This is not theory. This is now becoming the dominant way that your donors and those who are looking to get content from you are likely to be identifying and finding your information. Are you mobile ready? Do you have a mobile strategy? Make sure that you do. You can learn about it, of course, here on the Nonprofit Coach and at the Digital Leap Conference on May 1st up in Toronto. Uh, next up uh, is a question. You'll see this question over in the radio links today. And the question is, is it Wednesday yet? Well, why do we care if it's Wednesday or not? Uh, well, the benchmark study uh, shows that the best day and time uh, to send an email if you want it to get opened turns out to be midday on Wednesdays. If you want to know more about that, you can read about the report and the information regarding best times to send your email over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, it is time for us to head on over to our Page 2 expert. Samaj Wayo is a dear friend of mine and one of the top experts in our fundraising profession. She's an advanced certified fundraising professional uh, and has been described as one of the most thoughtful, inspirational, and provocative leaders in the philanthropic sector. She's a consultant specializing in fund development, strategic planning, and uh, board development. Uh, Saman uh, guides organizations and professionals through consulting and coaching, teaching, and writing. She speaks worldwide and teaches in the Philanthropic Graduate Program at St. Mary's University uh, in Minnesota. She has authored several books, uh, and today it is my honor to welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, Simone Joyeau and her new, somewhat provocative-sounding book, uh, Firing <laughs> Lousy Board Members, uh, and a nice little tagline in helping the others uh, succeed. Simone, I'm guessing this is going to be quite a discussion we're going to have today. Welcome back. Nice to be back, Ted. And yes, I, you know the title is intentionally provocative. And I when think I, that does help it, get people's attention. That, that that's it, a good it, way to be. It, it 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 does indeed. When I mention the title, I watch people's faces and listen to them. And so first, their their little kind of lips kind of go, mm, and then they start trembling, and then they really smile, and they say, <laughs> "Okay, I need it. I need to bring it to my next board meeting and slash it around." <laughs> yeah, a lot of people work on. Well, and of course, you're you're known for calling it the way that you see it, uh, and helping people get to the root of what's important and not sort of sugarcoat the issues. But before yeah. we get into this uh, this terrific uh, new book, let's take a step back for those uh, who may be new to the profession, because those are the only people I can imagine don't already know you, uh, and give a little bit more background than, than I just did uh, about your consulting firm. 
your your husband, you and your husband have been here on the show, and you've you've worked uh, uh, together for a number of years, um, or your partner. So, um, tell us more about the details of uh, Joyo Associates, the specific work that you do for nonprofits. Well, as you said in the very nice introduction, thank you for that, uh, Ted. I work in three different areas. Of course, they all intersect. So fund development, strategic planning, and governance. So some of my clients have no clue that I do anything but governance. That's all they're interested in. Or, for example, I oops, speaking of sort of your neck of the woods, uh, a couple of years ago I did a big strategic planning process for the Maryland Food Bank. So it was they, they knew I did fundraising, they knew I did governance, but what they were interested was, um, in was strategic planning. I'm fortunate to have clients of all types and sizes. So I'm working right now with a, one of my clients is a very small organization with one staff person, and they're trying to create a sustainable model and move forward. And then I have, you know, the, as I say, something like the Maryland Food Bank, which is a much larger um, institution and everything in between. So I, I very much enjoy it. Uh, in addition to my consulting practice, where I'm working with some organization for maybe, you know, a year or six months or whatever, I do what I would typically call one-offs, where I go in and, and do sort of a presentation work session with a board on how to do governance better. Um, and then I get to do a lot of presenting, traveling to wonderful places. So that's and as it. a as a consultant that's uh, called upon around the world, um, again, as I mentioned before, you're known as someone who doesn't sugarcoat um, the direction. Yeah. And is, is that strategic for you? Is that is that something that you have found um, sets you apart, or is really the way that you think uh, most people need to be? That, you know, that's a very interesting question, Ted. Thank you for that. Um, it is. It is both strategic on my part and and in some ways as you say a differentiation thing and it's also I can't imagine wasting people's time being any other way um, you know Charity Channel Press who who um, published this book uh, Firing Lousy Board Members also recently published a book um, about starting a consulting practice and developing a consulting practice and so a number of consultants participated in it and I did and I talked about when I first started my business, you know, I needed to get work, and I and, and this is actually my tw- start of my 27th anniversary as full-time consultant. And uh, so I was trying to get work, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't know myself that well 27 years ago. I know myself a lot better now, and I realized that I actually use both the description of myself, my presenting style, and my interviewing style with a prospective client um, to show people what it's going to be like to work with me, that I'm going to be supportive and you can call me at 10 o'clock at night, but that at the same time I'm going to say to you, wow, wow, you, you just can't do it that way. That's really, really bad. So, you know, as I say, it's, a, it's an intentional choice. I, I actually hear consultants who say that they, of course, do tell the truth, but that they that they spend that they will work with clients who have unreasonable expectations without telling them that they have unreasonable expectations until a little bit later after the consultancy has started. Well, that's and I think that's, that that work. is so interesting about your consultancy because uh, I think that some folks who hire consultants are a little bit jaded uh, in that you know first of all consultants have you know the reputation of asking for your watch to tell you what time it is. Yeah, exactly. um, so they're really not bringing anything unique to the table, um, but there is also that feeling out there that they're going to string me along to to get the rates up to to bill more hours, yeah. um, and why don't they just tell me the way it is up front? And you have that reputation yeah. of really telling people the way it is up front. Yeah, and I and and I will and I you know obviously I think any consultant gives away free information in an interview just to, but. It, I see the interview as, as me getting to know them and decide if I want to work with them and them getting to know me. It's not like I have secrets. You know, you're an experienced fundraiser. We, there's no, we don't each have secrets. It's about a match with, um, with the right person that you think will be a trusted advisor to you. I had an exec one time say to me, I would have loved to work with you, but you scared the hell out of my board members, and so we're not hiring you. And I said, and I agree with you. <laughs> 
Well, and sometimes, you know, as, as you know, I've, I've also consulted for, you know, a number of years. Uh-huh. And, and one of the responses that I have to that sort of uh, uh, response is um, definitely get in touch with me when you're ready. Yes. Because yes. the time will come. I mean, it's, it, sometimes it does start off with that sort of scary moment because a scary yeah. moment is actually holding the mirror up and we didn't necessarily yeah. like what we saw. Uh, mm-hmm. But then as it sinks in and the problems are still there and they didn't correct themselves, oftentimes yeah. they'll come back and say, oh, <laughs> now we're ready. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's that readiness factor. In 27 or 26 and however many months, years in business, I've only quit four clients. And I've, I, don't, you know, I can't, remember, can't figure out how many hundreds I've served and worked with. But those four that I quit... You know, I, it was because they weren't playing, people weren't attending, weren't participating, and I said to them, so, you know, it's, it, this is a waste of your money, you're not ready, I'm going to quit. And one of them actually called me back later, or sent me an email and said, I just wanted you to know that this, it was really smart that you fired us. And then for the next year, we kept saying, well, you remember when Simon said, or remember when Simon exactly. said? Exactly. And that's then they were ready, and they started doing what we talked about. And, you know, that's great. It keeps coming back. So I, I do want to jump in into uh, into this book, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to do probably what you don't expect me to do, uh, and that is sort of start at the back. And oh, the okay. reason cool. the reason that I want to start at the back is because I often find that when you're talking about boards of directors, and certainly today we want to talk about lousy board members and supporting those who are not lousy or are less lousy, um, but I want to really have you talk to my listeners today about board composition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to start there okay. before we get into, okay, who should stay, who should go, and what, you know, yeah. what's not working here. But talk, because I get asked that question all the time. Like there is, I think there's a desire out there, at least, and, and I'm curious if you, if you see this. It's almost a desire out there, just tell me how to do it. In other words, there's a sense that there is a cookie-cutter approach, that there's a, a, an exact number that I should have and they should look like this. Yeah. And when I get to that, it's just going to magically work by itself because it is magic after all. So tell me why it's not magic and tell me why it's not cookie-cutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It isn't magic. It's not cookie-cutter, although there are certain sorts of general guidelines we can think of. Um, you know, I talk about intentionally constructing a board, that it's intentional, that we actually sit down and we say, okay, what kind of an organization are we? Are we an arts organization? Because if we're an arts organization, well, we will want some people who are arts experts, not to compete with our staff, but who are arts experts, as well as, of course, everybody has to be interested if they're going to come on our board. But I start with the intentional composition in two key areas, skills and behaviors. I look at what the job description of the board is around ensuring the health and effectiveness of the corporation, which is the job description of a board as far as I'm concerned, ensuring the health and effectiveness of the corporation. So since there's money involved, we've got to have some board members who know about money. And since there's mission involved, so, so, well, well, not, wait, wait a minute. Let, let me stop you right there. So the yeah. answer is not just uh, invite and recruit all my cronies. Oh, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, okay. I was just talking to someone on the telephone. It's like forget your friends and cronies. You are setting up a community-based organization that has legal, moral, ethical accountabilities to society and to donors and to the IRS or to the federal government in France or in Canada in your province. So this is not about okay, get so, people Okay, so I'm going to challenge you, because you know I like to have a little bit of fun with you. I'm going to challenge yeah. you, because I'm the executive director who's already scared to death of my board, or I don't think my board's very effective anyway. Isn't it better for me to just get a bunch of people on there that are going to be nice to me so I can do my job? Well, I understand that feeling, having been an executive director and having lots of problems with the board. And I would certainly want people that I felt respected me, you know, so you don't get your biggest critic necessarily on the board. But this is a business proposition. And to some degree, we want people, just like you just challenged me, we want people who don't just smile and go, 
You go, girl. You go, guy. So I want their respect. I would never, I would, I would fight against on some level um, having someone recruited to the board. And, and by the way, I insist that the CEO, the executive director, participate in the conversations about people. Because I was going to ask you about that because it, it does seem to come in a couple of different flavors uh, mm-hmm. where the board views themselves as completely separate from the organization. Yes. They, they recruit their own people, but they don't really connect to the organization. And they see themselves as meant to be the critic of the yes. executive director. And another flavor is we're a team. So we are definitely a team. This is an organization that has employees, including an executive director, and board members, and we are all working towards the same goal, which is the health and effectiveness of the corporation to carry out its mission and to try to make change. And we have different roles in it. So the board has the governance role. The CEO, executive director, and staff have the management role, but there isn't a mountain range in between. It's much more like it's a continuum. So if you look at finance, for example, The board doesn't develop the budget. The staff develops the budget in concert with the finance committee of the board, and the board then approves it. But the finance committee or the board member or somebody doesn't go in a room and say, let's come up with a budget. The the board looks at financial reports and ensures that there are good policies around financial management. The board doesn't go in and say, and I've seen this, photocopy all the checks paid this month so we can look at them. It's like, what? So what so is this, that line you know, between governance and management? How do you know that you're coming to the line or you've crossed it? Well, m- one of my favorite things is to say that really good boards actually have that conversation. You know, so let's just pretend. You're the exec, <clears throat> and everybody plus me on, on this call, so to speak, are the board members. I raise an issue at the board meeting. You as the exec are kind of thinking that's really much more management. You very professionally and graciously say, because you're a peer to board members, you get to say this. You know, I'm thinking, Simon, that's really management. And then I go, hmm, yeah, yeah, I, I know why you're thinking that, Ted, but here's the angle that I'm thinking might be governance. And then other board members chime in, and then you might say, well, yeah, okay, I see that. So we decide if we've crossed the line a little bit. Okay. So we so have to it's feel collectively we work, we work through that together. We work through that yeah, together. So, absolutely. so so part of this is setting institutional norms. Absolutely. And that's why it's not cookie cutter. Exactly. And it's having enough respect with each, for each other that we can actually raise these issues without somebody feeling threatened. So so what is the optimum or what are the guidelines for the composition? So when I think of the composition of the board, I think, as I said, I think of skills and behaviors. So let's do behaviors first. I want team players. I once was observing a board where someone suggested an individual for candidate, as a possible candidate, who had great experience and skills, and one other board member there said very discreetly and professionally, she always wants to be boss. And the rest of the board said, we don't want bosses, we want team players on the board. So I want, as a behaviors, team players, respectful, reliable. You said you were going to do this, you do it. You said you'd be at board meetings, you do it. I want people who pay attention and engage in conversation. We don't have any parking lot conversations. I want people who are interested not in their own personal ego, but they are interested in the good of the institution and the mission. So it's those kinds of behaviors. I want people who have a little bit of a sense of humor, who can tease, you know, that sort of thing. Now, so those are the behaviors. But the skills within the composite of the board, within the group that is the board, we have to have the skills to carry out the board's job description. So that links back to we're legally, morally, and ethically accountable for the financial health of the institution. So we better have people who are really good at finance, who will ask the toughest questions around finance. If we're, again, if we're an arts organization, then let's have some people who, are, who have that um, experience or expertise. Maybe if we're um, a theater company, we get you know, the CFO of another theater company on our board or something like that. 
We need the skills around fundraising, body of knowledge, that sort of thing. So we have to have this composite of knowledge and perspective. I want an attorney on the board, not to be our free attorney. We can hire an attorney. I want an attorney on the board because they think in a certain way, and every once in a while we have to tell them to stop. What about size? What about size? All right, so size. When someone says to me, what's the optimum size, my response is, well, there are a series of questions to ask. For example, how many people does it take to have the composite skills we need? And as I think about what I think the composite skills we need on the board, that's, you know, that could be like 10 people right there, okay? So how many people do we need to have the right composite skills? How many people do we need to have the appropriate diversity of networks and life experiences in our community? So we need some people who are older and younger. These are the sort of screens I would use. We're not looking for an old person, a black person, a white person, and a young Jew. What we're looking at is lots of different life experiences. Right? So I don't want five or ten people only on a board because that's enough, not enough diversity of life experience. Mm-hmm. So I there are some organizations that, that could manage quite well with five or ten. So does it, does it, matter, does it matter the type of organization? No, it has nothing to do with the type of the organization nor the budget size. I think we've sold ourselves a bill of goods, and a bunch of people have sold the same bill of goods, that there's some magic number that's the right number, like because you can't have good conversations with any more than nine people. Bull, I've had good conversations facilitated on a conference call with 16 people. So I want enough people for life experience, diversity of opinions, the diversity of skills, the diversity of networks, and... Since a couple people are going to be absent, if they're always the same people, we should fire them. But a couple people are going to be absent because, you know, they were sick or whatever. So you've got a nine-member board. Two people are absent, let's say. So there are seven there and majority rules. So that means four people are making really important decisions. I don't like it. So my ideal board size, in bylaws, I want a low minimum in case the world should end, but I never want to be at the low minimum. And I, want, I don't ever want to be up to necessarily full capacity because maybe somebody moves into town that's so brilliant we have to have them right away. So I want a board in practice that's 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 people. Mm-hmm. And, and a good board chair can facilitate that, and so can an exec. And how often should they meet? Oh, yes, how often should they meet? So what's too infrequent? I don't like quarterly board meetings. I don't care how big your budget is because all somebody has to do is miss one and they're out of touch. I don't think most organizations or lots of organizations need monthly board meetings because they are probably talking too much about management. (laughs) So I find that board meetings maybe six times a year Mm-hmm. Um, maybe five times a year with an all-day retreat as a regularly scheduled activity once a year. Okay. So that's what I'm comfortable with. Got to maintain sufficient continuity that you have trust at board meetings and sufficient, you know, not so frequent that you end up talking about things you're not supposed to talk about. Right, because what board members will do in the absence of anything substantive to do is they'll make it up as they go along, and they'll often exactly. start getting into management issues because there isn't exactly. anything else to talk about. Talk so about, right. uh, our guest today here on the Nonprofit Coach is Simone Joyeau. Simone, we're going to take a, a very quick break here. When we come back, I want the first thing I want you to do is now we've talked about the composition, what this board looks like, how do we, pick, how do we know if someone is truly lousy and not just having a bad day. We'll be back in just a few moments. I want to make sure that you have on your calendars to invite you to next week's Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Brian Saber is going to be with us, and he's uh, with Asking Matters, and he's going to be talking about the different types of fundraisers that make up our universe and why shy people 
can be actually great fundraisers. So don't uh, miss that uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach, of course, 12 noon Eastern. Uh, and then I want to uh, invite you the week after that, April 22nd, uh, we're going to be here with Clint O'Brien. Clint O'Brien is always a, a big hit here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, he's moved over uh, to Engaging Networks. He's going to tell us all about that organization and the important work uh, that they do here on the Nonprofit Coach. So that gives you the next couple of shows here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, make sure that you're telling your friends to register for our newsletter, uh, and all of our podcasts are available here on the Nonprofit Coach. Before we head back, uh, because we shared with you the changes at Microsoft, we're going to share with you a little bit of an update on Microsoft Office. Introducing the new Office. Explore new services that personalize your experience and enjoy the freedom of Office when and where you need it with seamless roaming access to your applications, your documents, your personalized settings. It's the Office you know and trust. Transform. Office introduces exciting new features and a gorgeous new look that make it easier for you to get things done. Express your ideas and stay connected. Sign into your account from virtually anywhere and discover your documents and settings that stay with you on the Windows 8 devices you love. Imagine. Connect. Discover. Welcome to your modern office. Try it today. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are live here with Simone Zwayo. Uh, Simone, so now we've talked about the composition. Uh, what makes someone a lousy board member? Well, you, know, you said it, so how do we know, and I like the way you said, how do we know if people are truly lousy or just having a bad day? Everyone has a bad day, but every day is not a bad day. So if I'm on your board, and every time I'm at a board meeting or a committee meeting, I have an edge, or I'm disrespectful, or whatever, then I'm, that's not about having a bad day. That's about a frequent repetition of bad behaviors. And what I find is, is lousy board members, this is not usually about their skills or their knowledge or their expertise. It's about their behaviors, not self-aware enough that they keep trying to dominate and they and, and as someone who's very verbal and thinks quickly and is always prepared for board meetings, you can run into trouble with me. But I'm self-aware enough that I usually catch myself and I respond very well to, like, let's pretend you're the board chair, Ted saying, no, Simon, not you, somebody else now. I'm, I'm not offended. So it's the behaviors we have. And I think one of the biggest lousy board member syndromes is we don't go to board meetings. Well, sure. You know, so, so we start off with, with the dead weight. I mean, the folks that exactly. uh, it wasn't exactly. enough for me to lend my name to you. Exactly. Wasn't exactly. that enough? No, it's not. And your big gift isn't enough either because okay. the board is not a fundraising squad. The board does governance. I'm waiting for – I live really near Hartford, Connecticut, and I'm waiting for the insurance industry of the world to start saying that they won't cover board members with D&O liability insurance if they miss too many meetings. Because so it's about going to the meeting and talking and making decisions and together. Because, That's because you're, you're, you're on a governing body, you have to actually exactly. be there to, to, to govern. So, so let me exactly. try on a couple of other scenarios and have you yeah. respond – uh, to whether or not these are people who are just misunderstood or if they're mm -hmm. lousy board members that need to be shown the door. So, uh, Simone, people just don't listen to me, and I actually I don't want to say it in public, but I'm much smarter than everybody else on the board. 
Well, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, I suffer from the same thing. I'm obviously much smarter than, than anybody else on the board or on any, almost any board ever. Um, and, you know, if that, that's kind of a little overly egotistical. We like healthy egos, but we don't like overly egotistical egos. And if, in fact, you and I are smarter than anybody else on the board, then maybe we should go get on another board where there are more smart people. Well, but but it, it, they're going to make the wrong decisions if I don't speak up. So they don't always like it when I speak up, but they need to hear me. So having actually been purged from boards because I did speak up, um, you do need to speak up. And you need to speak up once and explain the perspective and whatever. And, you know, you can there can be conversation back and forth. But ultimately the group will decide – and so what's interesting, and I've actually said this to people, where they give me an example of, you know, I've, I'm really worried about the decisions the board and the exec are making, and I've tried to say this, and I say it, and, and they'll tell me what's going on, and I'll say, so if they're not listening to you, and given what you're saying, the quality of their decisions, if I were you, I would resign from the board so you don't get caught in a really big mess. But I really but care about this organization, Simone. Does that make me a lousy board member? No. If you decide to step down because despite the fact that you keep raising issues that you think they should listen to and they're not listening, then you should extricate yourself so you're not caught up in the possible mess that's going to happen. But you have to be really, really careful, Bed, that you're not repeating things that just because you think it's right, that it's not right or wrong it's a matter of which decision you want to make and i ha i have this guy in the in firing lousy board members his name is massachusetts keith and i was talking to him about the board makes decisions and he was saying but i know i'm right i'm the board chair and i'm right mm -hmm. and i said so are they going to make an illegal decision and you're a lawyer now nah, it's just that my decision is better i said but, but that's not the way governance works, and that's not the way right. a board works. Well, that's the essence of it, isn't it, Simone? Is that this is governance? It's not a dictatorship. We're not ask, exactly. We're asking you to, to participate in the discussion. Exactly. But as I try to point out to people, is we want to encourage you to speak up so that we hear your voice. Absolutely. But when we make a decision, the group has made a decision. We have exactly. to respect that decision. So right. that's the process. So if if you're going to serve on a board, you're, you are agreeing to be part of the process, Precisely. not to try to own and control it. Exactly. This is not, this is not Ted Hart's consulting business or Simon Joyo's consulting business. Because this if is it is, you can make those decisions. But if you're going to serve on a board, you can't do that. So right. let me ask you, let me give you another, another scenario. Uh -huh. These are all really, really nice people on this board, uh, Simone, but they're all a bunch of yes people. So I really see my role as the devil's advocate here because we've got to have one. Yeah, so two things there. Dysfunctional politeness is a disease, and it needs to be cured. So if, if you just can't, you know, you have to raise issues, and people have to be respectful about it, but you raise uncomfortable issues. And a culture of congeniality, there's a wonderful... <laughs> excuse me, H, um, Harvard Business Review article about the culture of congeniality. That's really bad. But there's a difference between raising issues and questioning things and deciding that you're going to be the rhetorical devil's advocate. The point I usually make about a devil's advocate is we don't need a self-appointed devil's advocate. If you exactly. have a, an opposing view, please speak up. But if you are, exactly. in fact, uh, in agreement and you take the opposite view, you're doing nothing but wasting our time. Precisely. Precisely. And it's okay the for the group to be in agreement if, in fact, they are in agreement. Right. Now, however, unanimity is not the goal. And I, I, yeah. I had this experience myself. So the, there's a distinction between unity of voice, right, once we've made a decision, and insisting on unanimity. So I served on a board uh, in one of my board experiences, and I don't know, there were like, to say there were pretend, I don't know, however many people were on the board, 15. And two, it was very clear that two of us were going to vote no on a decision, and everybody else was going to vote yes. So before the final vote, based on the conversations, somebody said, well, Simon, we know you and Bob are going to vote no, so why don't you just vote yes so it's unanimous? 
And Bob and I looked at each other and looked at everybody else and started to laugh and said, no, we know that the eyes will have it. It's going to be 13 against two. But we don't agree, so we're going to vote no. Now, once we vote, we will, of course, support the decision or we'll get off the board. Right. And we won't raise it again unless there's new information. But no, we're not going to make this unanimous. Right. But here, here's my here's a concern, and now now, the, now we're going to uh, the the part of your book where we're talking about uh, governance. Because my concern is that we don't actually even get to that point on most boards because oh, yeah. we govern by consensus. So the discussion is more likely to take the form of everyone's in favor, right? Okay, so we move on. No vote. No motion, and if yeah. there was a dissenting vote, there was no opportunity for for that voice exactly. to be heard because it was sort of steamrolled into. Well, of course, we're all in agreement, right? Okay, so let's just keep moving on. Yeah. And what happens is over time, and here's my concern, and help us through this because the the subtitle to your book book is, of course, helping those helping those who are not lousy. Uh, right. is what do I do if that's the way that we're governing? Because if you look at our minutes, we've actually never voted on anything. So you bring it up graciously. I would bring, I would bring it up to the board chair and the exec first and tell them, alert them that I was worried and concerned and planned to bring it up at a board meeting. And if I were on the governance committee, I would alert the board chair and the exec that I was going to bring it up because I think that fair notice is fair, mm-hmm. and then I would bring it up, and I would talk about but it. Is that, and a I would legitimate, talk- is that a legitimate governing structure, um, or is that just not acceptable? I mean, do we actually have to have motions <clears throat> and votes, or well, can it, we yeah. just drift from consensus to consensus? No. So first of all, there's two different theories of consensus. One is we'll just talk it to death until, oh, yeah, I guess we all agree. And then the other one is every voice is heard, everybody knows what we're talking about, and then we vote. So that's the kind of consensus I'm interested in. Um, But I'm surprised that an organization who has minutes, board meeting minutes like that, hasn't been called out by their auditor. Because board meeting minutes are part of an audit trail, Mm-hmm. And the auditors should be saying, excuse me, I'm not seeing any formal motions. Now, that doesn't mean everything has to have a formal motion, but where's the approval of the minutes? Where, how, you can't just make decisions that way. So, no, you can't. And, but, again, this is, a lot of this is about judgment, and it's about having a really good board chair. And, you know, the concept of a board chair is they're a good facilitator, they're not the heaviest hand. They're not the most articulate person. They're not the biggest donor. It's about being able to facilitate and saying, so this looks like we've been having a good conversation, but I really think we need to have a formal motion around this decision because we need it for the record because it has you know, sequential and subsequent kinds of implications. So that's so, the role of the board chair is to, absolutely. to signal to the rest of the board to say yep. something like, I will entertain a motion on this topic. Yep. But to yep. guide the board to say, because right. it's often the board chair that will call out, we're all in agreement, right? Okay, next topic. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's not the job of, yeah, yeah, no. Board right. chair has to be a really good synthesizer of comments, a very good summarizer, a very good manager so that they would say, no, Simon, only new, pe-. I mean, I will say this as a board chair, only, no, only new comments. Right now, only new people. Right. I've already, you know, we've already we've heard, heard from your, you yeah. three. So we're not just we're not just filibustering here until everyone just gets <clears throat> up or goes home. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And really so, good. Yeah. You know. So Simone, I just I just wanted to go back to this this topic of lousy board members. So we showed some scenarios of not particularly helpful or and or lo- right. lousy board members. Did we miss some common clues of how we might identify lousy board members? Um. I think, in my experience, lousy board members are pretty apparent, and the, and it's the job of the governance committee to be looking at this and watching this and to be giving feedback because maybe, as you said in the first place, somebody might not be being lousy on purpose. They may just not understand. So can we help them? Can we model appropriate behavior? Can we give personal, private, one-on-one feedback? Well, now you've brought you brought up a to do very that. important topic. I've often said on this show that good board members are not born, they're raised. 
Absolutely. So, so how do we – is the point of your book that once you get to lousy, you've got to go, or can you mentor, monitor, and train <clears throat> someone back from the brink of yeah. lousy? Yes. I believe you can mentor, monitor, and train, and in fact – the title, Firing Lousy Board Members, there's only two pages at the end of the book about how to fire lousy board members. Everything else was how to find the right board members in the first place, how to facilitate them, how to enable them, how to overcome their management experience, because that's what we've all been educated in from mm-hmm. our early days, finish your homework before you can go out and play. So it's, you're doing all of this, and there's regular feedback, and there's regular work by the staff. So the chief development officer needs to understand the difference between governance and management. So when the chief development officer is facilitating the meetings of the fund development committee, she or he is making sure that, oh, no, that's not really something we as a committee would talk about, and then gets the chair of the committee on board. So it's, it's that constant sending the messages, the cues, and the training and orienting about this is what we need to talk about at this board meeting. These are the things we won't talk about because they're not our job. So this is a big deal. So what is your experience in terms of the origin of of lousy board members? Are these board member refugees from lousy boards, (laughs) or or are they representatives of lousy people who got on lousy boards, or are they the byproduct of bad management? I think it's probably every single thing you said, but I think the single most important factor is the ability of staff management, the CEO, to enable people to be effective. So the CEO has to understand the distinctions between governance and management, Mm -hmm. has to be enough of a people person to help lead the recruitment process to find the right people. You have to do reference checking practically, so to speak, and has to be able to help the board and individual board members distinguish things. So that what I always say is if you're having problems with your board or you're upset with board members about fundraising or whatever, look in the mirror first. Oh, right, exactly. So where does tenure and rotation fit into all of this? I believe in um, term limits. So I believe in forcing us to rotate board members because we won't do it if there aren't term limits. Right, so, so, but is the answer yeah. to firing – that we don't oh. actually fire, we just wait for them to time out. Okay, no. That just drives me insane. If you and I were in the same room, I would run over and I would start, I don't know, <laughs> waving my hands in front of your face, and I'm actually doing that right now. I'm just looking at myself. I'm in my so room. So the answer is in my not office, to myself. time out. Okay. Okay, so, no, because, so you've just selected me as a board member for three years. You thought I was going to be great. You did a great interview, whatever, and I've turned out to be sucky in year one. You're going to keep me around for two years? Well, yes, but it's even worse because a lot of boards will reelect them and wait for the second term to end. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. as if, as if because, you automatically because after all, you're a nice term. guy. Maybe he should, he should be given a, a chance rather than it, – it, right. here, here's a concept that I go back to, is that the responsibility of the board as a collective – is to the board as a collective and not to each individual board member. Exactly. So if you're part of the team, then be part of the team, and that means to call out things that are bad, exactly. but not, not be the, the, the devil's advocate. But if Precisely. there is a rotten apple on any team, yep. you want to get rid of the rotten apple so that the rest can succeed. Exactly. And so a lot of times what we do is all of the other – I mean, I've watched board members board meetings, and I'm sure you have too, where – there's somebody who's misbehaving, and everybody's looking all mad at the board chair for not stopping the person. For not like, stopping it, not stepping well, in. Well, what that's are board you, a weakling? Job. You could so, say something, too. We're all right, accountable. Exactly. So, Simone, we've got about five minutes left. Which, with you, I could go on and on, and you've got to come back on the show because <laughs> I, I love having you on the show. And your podcasts are always among some of the, the most popular, so you've always got oh, great hey. content. But there's something that we've been exploring here over the last year here on the Nonprofit Coach. Whenever we get to this issue of board term limits and, and lousy board members and, and all of that, and that is, and I'm wondering where, what you think about this. That concept's been around for a while, and most of us who have been seasoned for a while have been trying to get boards to understand that rotation is healthy and, and, and right. having that in your bylaws is important. 
a topic that increasingly has come up as I've been consulting, though, is the other side of that coin is executive directors who stay too long. Yep. Yep. And you raised this another time with me, and I was going to yep. do some reflecting and writing on it, and then I didn't. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I, have, I have mixed <clears throat> feelings, and I'm not sure why. Because I have had the experience of being with absolutely brilliant CEOs who kept mm-hmm. renewing themselves mm-hmm. and who kept exploring and developing. And so, you know, and they've been there for like 13 years or something, and I wouldn't right. want them to go away. But what about a board member who also is renewing themselves and is very valuable yeah. but does time out? So I, I just throw that out as a concept I know, because I, know. I think good organizations with good talent on the board or management side should not necessarily artificially deprive themselves of that leadership, but they also can just as equally drift into having yeah. people around that have been around too long. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, and I haven't figured out – how I haven't figured out. I mean, I think I think an interesting thing is to say mm-hmm. and to have as part of the um, performance appraisal that the board does of the CEO is to say is to sort of always ask that question as part of the performance appraisal. And I mean, at least to, to be? be present. Pardon? Uh, well, how would that question be phrased? Right. Well, so something about <clears throat> you know. At what point do you think you need to move on? Or I mean, I'm, I haven't come up with how to talk about it, but I think you're absolutely right that there should be a conversation about, and it's not just necessarily the CEO. It could be the you know 20-year, 10-year development officer. Right, right. How do we exactly. talk about this without threatening people? Without threatening, exactly. Well, so uh, so Simone, we our topic today has been firing lousy board members, and more importantly, having good governance um, and having good functioning teams, both in management and governance. Um, sum, sum it up for us in about three minutes, and make sure that my guests know how to reach you. Oh, how to reach me? Yes. Oh, okay. So three minutes. Um, three minutes. All right. One. You don't fire people until you've done your darndest to find the right people in the first place and to enable them to be as effective as they could. And we have not given sufficient attention to this because we're worried about board members who give us a lot of money or have a lot of power in the community. And so avoid the politics of we can't ever talk about this because you're harming the institution. The institution is more important than any single individual. But always remember, you don't get to fire anybody until you've done the right work in the first place, which is one of the reasons I wrote this book. Um, People can subscribe to my free e-news and my weekly blogs, which are all about tips for doing fundraising, strategic planning, board work. And um, my uh, website address is my name, so it's www.simonjoyot.com. And we have provided a link to your website in our radio links today. So you can go to the radio links at tedhart.com and find it. So there it is. That would be my summary. There you are. Well, Simone, this is a fantastic book. We encourage everyone uh, to go to uh, Amazon or your favorite place to uh, to buy uh, books. It's part of the In the Trenches series, Firing Lousy Board Members and Helping the Others Succeed. Simone, thank you for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Always a delight, Ted. Always a delight. Thanks for the work you do. Come back soon. Okay. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.